Hi friends, thank you for joining us again for the ASP Stories weekend bonus episode. Join us on Mondays and Thursdays where we interview amazing guests where they share with us about their adventure sports and the amazing feats that they have done. But ASP Stories is where we get to listen in as authors read their adventure stories to us. So sit back with your hot cup of tea or coffee and kick off your adventure-filled weekend by listening in while we hear more from ASP Stories. This episode is sponsored in part by Kennedy Pet Food. You know your dog is the best part of your adventure, and a great way to keep him happy and healthy is by feeding him the best pet food. That's why you need to check out Canaday Pet Food. Canaday is an independent and family-owned pet food company who uses the same care and the same quality ingredients they want for their own pets when making their pet foods. Check out Canaday.com slash podcast. The next series on ASP Stories will be from Annie Dyke. Annie has a blog at havewindwilltravel.com. Go check it out. You can also hear more from Annie on episode 75 and episode 138 on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Now sit back, relax, and hear a little bit from Salt of the Sailor. Hi there, Annie here, salty rider, sailor, rum drinker, and dream chaser at HaveWinWillTravel.com. I've been writing a blog at HaveWinWillTravel.com. Uh, chronicling the adventures and more often misadventures of uh, my boyfriend and I on our 1985 Niagara 35. Lots of really cool articles, how-tos, how-not-tos, and photos and videos there for you, and links to my books. I have three uh, self-published sailing books, um, ranked number one on Amazon at one point in time. Uh, very fun stories, though, and feel free to go check them out. I'm going to read for you today chapter two called uh, Roughing It of my first sailing book, Salt of a Sailor. The Grenadines, Philip said, casually, as if it was like going to the movies or out for a bagel. The way he said it made them sound closer. He made all things far away sound closer. For how long, I asked, kicking myself immediately right after I did, like I was some lovesick schoolgirl. Summer camp? How long will you be gone, Billy? Will you write? Ten days, he replied. Ten days, I thought. And just like some lovesick schoolgirl, the thought made me want to pout. I had only just met this man, and I could already tell that ten whole days without him might feel like a small form of torture. Ten days, I repeated, not knowing what else to say. I had never met a man who had been to the Grenadines. I had never met a man who had traveled at all, really, other than up to the hunting camp, much less a man who did it consistently and to such far-flung places. I had never met a man quite like him, and trust me, in the reckless months that led up to him, I had met plenty. Philip was curious, but a bit dismissive of me. Me, the leggy blonde who usually lorded over the fraternity brothers and navy boys at the bar with ease. A friend who knew I had wasted far too much time already with those types encouraged me to upgrade from the toddlers, she called them, to a man like Philip. Like me, Philip was newly single, but where I was running around like those kids in the Willy Wonka factory, snatching, tasting, and trying everything, he was sort of coolly sashaying about, like a cat. His indifference made me crave his intention even more. Among the dopey, bounding dogs who often circled me, he stood out. Philip was educated, put together, capable of conversing about things other than the Alabama game. The man exuded so much confidence it rubbed off on you. He was also a lawyer, like me, but not the overly cocky kind I was used to. He was assured of himself, but in no way judgmental. You got the sense that every man or woman who walked up to him 
slick pinstripe corporate type to a dirty homeless beggar would get the same handshake. When he first walked up to me, the phrase, I'll have what he's having, came to mind. After just a few minutes of focused conversation, I was enthralled by him. Philip was direct, almost to the point of being off-putting. If he had something to say, he would say it. If he didn't, he would say nothing. I struggled with it at first, unsure whether I should interpret his frequent silence as disinterest, but I soon recognized it merely as a strong sense of self. Words were not wasted between us. It was unnerving, almost, how quickly we fell into an ease of honesty and companionship. What he's having soon evolved into where he's going. The man was so traveled. Philip had been to Kuwait, Somalia, Singapore, and now the Grenadines? I couldn't point these places out on a map, but I certainly didn't want him to know that. I didn't want to risk asking a question that would reveal my lack of knowledge about in which hemisphere or even what ocean the Grenadines might lie. Assuming it was an ocean, not a sea or a gulf or whatever the correct term for those rare bodies of water that exist out there in the great beyond. The Grenadines. For some reason, an image of desert storm came to mind. Dust, tents in the desert, chickens clucking around, and I knew instantly it had to be wrong. So very wrong. Well, probably seven days on the boat, ten days total for the whole trip, Philip said. Thankfully, he had brushed the desert dust away and brought me back to the bar. I was hoping the more he spoke, the more I would become enlightened, but now I was only further confused, intrigued, enraptured. On the boat? What boat? Whose boat? What kind of boat? Desert storm flashed again, and I stabbed in the dark, hoping out of the thick froth of my confusion would emerge some form of an intelligent question. Your boat? No, a friend's. I'm going to stay with them on their boat for a week in the Grenadines. Phew, irrelevant inquiry. Don't blow it, Annie, I told myself. But as hard as I was trying to focus on our exchange, to say the right things, ask the right questions, I was swept away again by the words that tumbled off his lips. The Grenadines. They sounded so exotic. How could I carry on a conversation with this with this man? I was a lawyer, sure. I had a degree and whatnot and had clawed my weight up from dirt poor beginnings, but I still had the dirt under my fingernails to prove it. Among my hoity-toity peers, I often felt that I knew only just enough to pretend to know a lot. A quick wit and disarming personality can be just that, disarming. As they scramble to get their armor back together, they'll forget to peek under mine. When it came to dirty, rugged life experiences, though, I was rich. But as for world travel, real out there, beyond the great travel, I was still dirt poor. I knew nothing of these foreign places, these remote adventures, these... Another martini? Thankfully, I was rescued again. This time it was the bartender. Yes, please, and a Cosmo as well. Extra lime. The words came out before I even had time to think about it. Philip eyed me curiously, watching me as I knocked the last splash of my first martini back and met his gaze, my eyes squinting ever so slightly. What? they said. A Cosmo and a martini? he asked, now seemingly intrigued by me. Me? The one imagining chickens pegging at the dirt when he said the grenadines. Good, I thought. Finally back on familiar turf booze and sultry flirting from a pretty blonde at the bar. Since the divorce, I was the queen of that realm. I didn't know how to compete with the Grenadines, with ten days abroad, friends with sailboats, remote exotic locations, anything of that kind. But I did know I liked this man, and I now had his attention. In my arena, on my turf. Time to break out the catnip. Sure, salty and sweet, I quit. I like everything, I added suggestively, a gleam dancing in my eye. You ever find yourself in need of a hot blonde number to start making these trips to the grenadines and whatnot with you, you know where to find her. I brushed my body against his, reaching for my fresh martini and looking a salty bead from the rim before taking my first sip. I watched him watch me, thinking he wasn't sure exactly what to say, what the appropriate response would be, or so I imagined that's what he was thinking. But as the seconds passed, us eyeing each other easily in comfortable silence, I could tell he wasn't worried at all about what was appropriate. He was simply enjoying the moment, 
pondering me, he smiled, a genuine sexy smile, raised his own glass of some dark liver with a sliver of lemon, some dark liquor with a sliver of lemon, and tipped it at me with a regal nod of his head. Touche. I kid you not, that was our first exchange. The night we met, there was talk of a sailboat and the Grenadines. That evening, I was poised to set sail to southern climates and salty, sweet adventures before our relationship had even begun. I was 29, freshly divorced and running like a wild stallion when Philip met me, jumping and bucking in the vast freedom I had recently found, unsure what to do with it all. Molding it into a boat and sailing it with him down to the Grenadines sounded like a great start. But I was the easy sell. Being a bit more cautious and still smarting from his own separation, it took Philip some time to grow comfortable with the fact that he might find himself again spending every day with the same person, or the more frightening thought that he might want to. But once he wise to my awesomeness and realized I truly wanted no commitment, we started to get serious about it. And I do mean it, not each other. I'm not sure still if what we could have or should be called serious, or called anything for that matter. When we get What we got serious about was this sailing stuff which was simply the embodiment of our mutual desire to spend our youthful days together, doing the things most put off until retirement. For us, that was to travel and experience the world, to embrace the excitement of living a different day every day. We had both put in several hard years at the office, and it was time to come up for air. The Grenadines only fueled a fire that was already smoldering in Philip. He had wanted his own boat for years, not just any boat, a sailboat, a comfortable, dependable, blue-water cruiser that would take him anywhere he wanted to go. He didn't want to wait until he got old and arthritic to get out there. Dogs make the best partners for outdoor adventures. Good food keeps your dog happy and healthy for those big days. So feed your pets Canaday. Canaday is an independent and family-owned pet food company who uses the same care and the same quality ingredients they want for their own pets when making their pet foods. In keeping with their commitment to pets and their people, Canaday has taken the first steps at Canaday Farms to getting involved in growing the ingredients that they use. Go to Canaday.com slash podcast to try Canaday for free by requesting a free sample and you'll get other special offers too. That's C-A-N-I-D-A-E dot com slash podcast. Again, that's Canaday.com slash podcast. Check out bikeparts.com for all your cycling gear. They have a wide selection of over 60,000 bike parts and accessories. Need suggestions or have a question about what fits your bike? Their knowledgeable staff will answer any questions and get you rolling as quickly as possible. If you're in the great state of Colorado, stop by their full-service bike shop, Peak Cycles, in downtown Golden. That's bikeparts.com. As I'm sure you know from listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, some of the safest and best snow conditions for backcountry skiing of the whole year happen in the springtime. And Bentgate has the gear you need. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Neversummer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear, so you can get your skis and your boots there, as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts, so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado. Or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear, as well as to get updates on all of their events.
We were somewhat established professionally, both with some money saved up and still with our health and thirst for adventure. The right time to go was now. We made the mutual decision to adjust our careers accordingly and start getting ruthless with how we spent our time and money. It all needed to be devoted to the higher goal. Money was traded in for more time, and spare time was spent readying ourselves for world travel. While I am confident Philip would have bought and sailed a boat on his own at that point in his life, cue Annie or not, the fact that a vivacious little budding world traveler crashed into his life around the same time was not an undeniable impetus. Having a comfortable, dependable mate to accompany him would naturally make the journey more enjoyable. wouldn't hurt if she was pretty to boot, but that wasn't a requirement. Now, what did I want? Everything, in a sense, but not the usual one. Usual one. I had just clawed my way out of a consuming marriage, and I wanted to be free. Free to go, write, and travel. I wanted to see the world and have a kick-ass time doing it. I wanted to ski, climb, kiteboard, scuba dive, and sail. Sure, sail, that too. Anything, too. I wanted to do it all, to immerse myself every day in the new, the now, and the never-before-seen. And Philip, with his equally insatiable thirst for adventure, and okay, his devilishly good looks, did not just step into my life at that time. He hit it full-on, with the force of a Mack truck, crashing into me at the perfect time and sending me skidding and careening onto a new road that was paved with adventure. I gripped the wheel, hugged the asphalt, shifted gears, and took off. I was infected by Philip the moment I met him. Where he was going, I wanted to go. And go we did. After a year or so of various escapades and non-sailing trips together, Philip finally began to suspect what I had known that first night over cocktails and talk of the Grenadines. She could be the one. Not that one, a way better one the hot little blonde number who would accompany him to the Grenadines and whatnot. His travel mate. Hadn't I told him that on night one? What more did he need? Proof, apparently. It seemed Philip wanted some empirical evidence. He does like to test me, and for good reason. If you're going to travel the world with someone, you want to be sure they can hack it. Philip wanted to be sure I packed light and traveled well, that I assimilated with ease into different environments, cultures, and the occasional dirty, stuffy place. I had to be up for hiking, biking, backpacking, and variety of ethnic culinary experiences. Personally, I believe he was trying to make sure I wasn't a finicky, high-maintenance broad. Can't say that I blame him. There are plenty of them out there. After his own personalized series of test trips, Philip was finally starting to think I might fit the bill. I traveled with ease, ate happily of whatever was plated before me, and went with the flow. But this whole sailing business was new territory. There's just really no way to know what kind of sailor you're to not to be until you actually get out there and start doing it. I didn't even know how to sail. I'd never done it. What if I got violently seasick? I had been out a time or two on a deep-sea fishing trip and had had no problems, but that was it. But that was a passenger on a motor yacht, not a deckhand on a swaying to-and-fro sailboat. Cruising was a whole nother matter. Philip would tell me, like camping, but on the water. Cruisers had to be ready to get their hands dirty, to endure some, or perhaps a lot, of discomfort. To, quote-unquote, rough it, as some might say. It could be hard, painful, and exhausting. You had to be resourceful, rough and tumble, decidedly not dainty. That was his gist. I'm all of those things, I told myself. Hell, I'm the poster child for those things. I had to smile when Philip showed me pictures, had me read articles, and tried to recreate sailing conditions or situations that he thought might help prepare me for this tough world of marine camping. They paled sadly in comparison to my past experiences. My tomboy resume, if you will, my own roughing it days. I really do think it is in my blood because it all started with my dad, a real-life, no-shit, professional bull rider in his day. Twelfth in the nation at one point, or so I was told. A true grit-and-gristle cowboy to the core. His daddy was a Church of Christ preacher, and his mom, Big Mom, was the stubbornest, cattle-driving, child-rearing, southern stickler I've ever met. She was far tougher than Dad, far tougher than any of us. 
As a child, I spent my summers in Alabama backwoods as dad's shadow, stumbling behind his spurs everywhere he went. Going everywhere my dad went often meant squeezing into hay trailers, climbing fences, holding on to the horn, holding on for dear life, and basically just clawing at the dirt to keep up with him. I did what he did, wherever that entailed. The rest of the year, my brother, John, and I spent in New Mexico with my mom, the stubbornest, bus-driving, child-rearing non-surthener I've ever met. Quite as tough as Big Mom, but twice as me when she needed to be. With Dad granted the fun summers and holidays role, my mom was left with the job of actually raising my brother and me, day in, day out, mostly alone, and mostly broke. She was a hardcore disciplinarian, a great whipper, and despite the daily frustrations of raising two snot-nosed kids, a stern teacher and constant provider. Complaining was not tolerated in our little flat-top orange house in New Mexico. Gripe about mom not buying the sugary tiger cereal and you got a so in- that you ate at so-and-so's house and you spent your Saturday morning chained to the kitchen table swallowing tasteless lumps of malto meal with absolutely no sugar or butter in it until every last morsel was gone. Some kids don't get breakfast at all, she would say, and she was right. But having little forced John, but having little forced me and John to be creative, to construct our own worlds of entertainment, to build things we couldn't buy, to fix things others would throw away, and to appreciate and save the 75 cents mom would give us for cleaning the bathroom. Yes, the bathroom. Growing up in our house, there was only one. If I cursed her at the time, and believe me, thanks to my brother, I started cursing at a very young age, it's only because I was ignorant. I was young, naive, and stupid, and I didn't understand the valuable life lessons my mom was teaching us. Her tough love laid a thick salt base that enabled my brother and me to grip and grow in the face of adversity, poverty, and sometimes insurmountable odds. With his foundation, I was able to endure a young life full of experiences that humbled me, taught me, and made me this poster child exemplar of toughness that I thought I was, this pre-season stormtrooper who could handle any nautical crisis. Now, had I ever sailed? No. Did I think that mattered? No. I had endured many painful, uncomfortable, arguably dire situations that I felt gave me whatever grit and guile the captain thought I needed to handle this silly sailing stuff. The more Philip kept trying to impress upon me how tough it was going to be, the more I kept reaching back to the rough-and-tumble memories of my youth, some of which Philip knew about, most he did not. But they were mine. They were logged in and itemized, lined up on a mental shelf, standing ready for when I needed to pull one down, roll it around in my mind, and embrace once again whatever valuable lesson I had learned in that moment. Big Mom, holding me down in a vat of hydrogen peroxide, my skin literally sizzling off, had taught me no matter how awful things may seem, if they're not going to kill you, they're really not that bad. Ah, hush, she'd say. You're alive, ain't you? My dad, pulling my head back with a wad of hair in one hand and a pair of greasy pliers in the other to extract a wiggly, bloody tooth out of my mouth, had taught me. It might hurt at the time, but sometimes you gotta cut things loose if they're wanting to go. My brother, John, punching holes in canned biscuit dough and dropping them in the fry daddy to make our homemade version of donuts, had taught me that if you really want something, particularly if folks say you can't have it, you find a way. In all, I felt I had already endured a lifetime's worth of roughing it experiences that made me far more durable than the average bloke. I had parachuted with a sheet, started my car with a screwdriver, swished with hydrogen peroxide. I rode horses, climbed rocks, leapt off cliffs. I fixed things with duct tape, staples, and hot glue. I spent summers in the sleeper of a big rig. I ate malto meal. Surely these were excellent traits for a sailor. Surely I was, quote-unquote, salty enough. I fancied I was. Phillips suspected I could be. Either way, we were going to find out. Travel was the goal. The time to go was now. And all we needed was a boat. I hope you've enjoyed it. That's a chapter from Salt of a Sailor. And you can find it at my blog, Annie Dyke with HaveWindWillTravel.com. Check it out. See you guys soon.
All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of ASP Stories with Annie Dyke. Annie will be back with a few more readings in the weeks to come. In the meantime, check out her blog at Have When Will Travel, and you can hear her other episodes on episodes 75 and 138. Thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy your weekend.